Let's open our Bibles to Romans 5. If you have a prayer slip or a visitor slip, we'd love to receive that. If you'd pass that to the aisle, we'd gladly take that from you, and we'll be praying for you in this coming week. I was just really taken this, this week with a number of events that happened around the world, and one of the benefits of working verse by verse through a Bible book is to see biblical themes in context. And as we live life together, we, we see where God's truth intersects where we live, and this is where we need to stand. And working through a Bible book really lends, its, lends itself to understanding the Bible better. It allows us to think seriously about what God has said and how to apply that truth to daily life. We are witnessing in our culture with ever-increasing speed a downward spiral described in Romans 1. This has happened in many cultures and civilizations throughout history, but we're seeing it in living color in our own country, in our own culture. We're witnessing this spiraling down. Dr. Albert Moeller has sounded a warning to the church of this gathering storm in Western civilization. This week, we have seen the NCAA award a man a national championship and a woman's swimming event. USA Today, which has been committed to promoting liberal causes in our culture for years, named a man as one of their women of the year. Dr. Moeller wrote in his uh, online article with the briefing, USA Today announced that Dr. Rachel Levine, now Admiral Rachel Levine, is presented as the next in the series of USA Today's Women of the Year. The beginning of the article in USA Today says Rachel Levine is one of USA Today's Women of the Year, a recognition of women across the country who have made a significant impact. Except, of course, this isn't a woman. This is a man claiming the identity of a woman, claiming the name of a woman, and we're looking at the confusion in our society, reaching the point where we're being told by USA Today that we are to celebrate this particular woman as identified by USA Today without qualification in, qualification in terms of the title of this, of this award. We are, celebrate, we are to celebrate this identity and understand this represents moral progress for the United States, so much so that USA Today has made this a major issue. And of course, Rachel Levine, a man who entered professional life as a pediatrician, Dr. Richard Leland Levine, who serves as the highest ranking public service doctor in the state of Pennsylvania, equivalent to the position of Surgeon General in our federal government, but we're looking at someone who basically entered the national agenda through President Biden's appointment to the Assistant Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Somebody needs to say, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And we're li living in a culture that's more and more exerting pressure for us to agree with things that are not true. God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 1. 
And we shouldn't let anyone tell us that it's not loving if you stand flat-footed and speak the truth about this issue and a host of others on the cultural scene from a sexual revolution that is insane. What's not loving is to remain silent as the people of God when God says that we're under a sure and eternal judgment if we ignore his truth. Far from being people of hate, we are to be salt and light. We're to offer the hope of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, a right standing with God. Rod Dreyer has written a couple of books that have been helpful in processing some of these cultural changes, live not by lies, but in his insightful uh, work, The Benedict Option, Dreyer uh, describes the present confusion in American culture as a civilization in which no one feels an obligation to the past, to the future, to each other, or to anything higher than self-gratification. And because of this loss of identity, we are a nation that is dangerously fragile. And when I think of that, I think of the importance of this gathering on a regular basis when we come together to hear the word of God and to be reminded of God's call on our, li- on our life to go and be salt and light in this generation. And sometimes we can feel so small and insignificant in light of the cultural forces at work. But I, re- I think about when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you shall be salt of the earth, you shall be the light of the world. He was talking to poor people, insignificant people in Palestine. And he would say of those who believed on him, you are the salt of the, <clears throat> of the earth and the light of the world through him. May God equip us. May God empower us to stand for truth. I was reminded this week, four times in Joshua chapter one, the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, only be strong and very courageous. Four times in Joshua 1. What do you think God wanted Joshua to be? What do you think he wants us to be with the challenges before us and seeking his kingdom together? This cultural update is a reminder for us that our calling is to live out the gospel. And in the face of moral chaos, that we would live as God's called out people. In light of impending judgment, we are people of great hope, which is this morning's theme after that introduction. We are people of great hope, but in order to feel the weight of that hope and the surge of blessing that it brings, we need to understand what God has brought us from, which is the hope of the gospel. One of Charles Wesley's enduring hymns was, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, which primarily is about the sanctification of the believer. And the hymn ends with with this glorious hope of heaven, which Wesley refers to as glory. Finish then thy new creation, speaking of the believer, finish within us your new creation. True and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before you, lost in wonder, love, in praise. This is the destiny of the believer, hope in Jesus Christ. So our study in Romans 5 has been a call to slow down 
and taken the benefits of what it means to be justified by faith and to take in these benefits and the security that God has given to every believer who's been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have discovered that right standing with God, in other words, if anyone, if any sinner would be right with God, it's always been the same. And we followed Paul establishing and making this case by going back to Abraham, that Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him, credited to him as righteousness. So if you would be right before God, knowing his forgiveness and in covenant and at peace with him, then it's by way of faith and faith alone. And I think that really underscores one of the nuggets that's come out of this that maybe we don't think about very often, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are in fact enemies of God. Oh, I don't like to think in those terms. Well, look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God calls us that apart from Christ. We're at enmity with God. We're in opposition to his commands. We're defiant to his obedience and to obey him. And so to those who foolishly think that God's too loving to, to send anyone to hell, Paul declared in this letter, to the Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, and he lists a number of sins, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. John MacArthur once heard a professional football coach say at a pregame devotional that was held for his team, I don't know if there's a God, but I like having these chapels because if there is one, I want to be sure that he's on my side. <laughs> Sentiments such as that are frequently expressed by unbelievers who think that the creator and sustainer of the universe can be cajoled into doing one's bidding by giving him superficial lip service. God is never on the side of the unbelievers. He is their enemy, and his wrath against them can only be placated by their trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is. On the cross, Christ took upon himself all the fury of God's wrath that sinful humanity deserves. And those who trust in Christ are no longer God's enemies, no longer under his wrath, but we have peace with God. The warfare is over. Not the struggle, but the warfare is over. We are never condemned because of our sins, because of Jesus Christ. From enemies, we've been adopted as sons and daughters to sit at his table so we have peace with God. We have access by faith into this grace, verse 2. And then this morning's subject is we have hope and therefore we rejoice in the glory of God. Would you think with me about that in our time remaining? Chapter 2, the last, or chapter 5, verse 2, the last section of that verse. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To be justified by faith means we have a hope that brings rejoicing. I'd like to break it down this way. First, true security is found in Jesus Christ. Justification, declared legally righteous in the courtroom of heaven, occurs by faith, and hope is our certainty. The Bible presents clearly a security of salvation for the true believer. Wayne Grudem says this is probably a better way to speak of security and salvation as a perseverance in the Christian life. 
the perseverance of the saints, means that all those who are truly born again, when Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. So a mark of true saving faith in your life and in mine is not so much what I said or believed or affirmed yesterday, but am I accepting and receiving and affirming the things that God has said is true in His Word today? Am I walking in obedience today? To persevere until the end of their lives and that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. So Jesus made some astonishing statements about the security and salvation. You mean I put my trust in Jesus Christ? I trust Him completely, repenting of my sins He will be with you, he will be in you, and he will see you through to the end. That's security. Jesus said in John 6, verse 38, I I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has Given, that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have everlasting life. Listen to Jesus in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's security in Christ. There's a blessed assurance for the people of God. True security is found in Him by faith in Him. He will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, um, that same promise is given to Joshua in chapter 1 where the Lord says, be strong and very courageous as you enter into the promised land that I will give you. Be strong and and very uh, courageous I will be with you always. I will be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. Notice with me secondly, what is this hope in which we rejoice? What is this hope in which we rejoice? It says we have a hope and therefore we rejoice in the glory of God. Now in common everyday conversation in English, in America, we use the word hope regularly. And it can mean what? It might happen or it might not happen. Some might even view it even worse as kind of a roll of the dice. But that's not what is meant when you look at what the Scripture says concerning hope. It is a certainty. It is a sure and certain hope based primarily in the promises of God, received in actuality through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the confidence of, of the future hope is communicated with the word here, we boast. It says we rejoice, but really the, the, the thrust of the word is we boast in this hope. Exulting in the hope of God's glory introduces really a major theme of this paragraph. Those who scorn God's glory, Romans 1, who have fallen short of it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, are now promised a future share in this hope. The glory of believers will will experience is the gift of God's grace. 
Believers are righteous in God's sight, enjoy the covenant of peace, and stand in the gift of grace for all time and forever. Believers, we are not morally perfect, are we? We need God's forgiveness. Every Sunday we come together and we say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Put within our heart a resolve to follow you and begin again in your grace. When Paul speaks of the hope of God's glory, hope means a sure confidence. It does not mean that believers long to experience God's glory but are not sure whether it'll come to pass or not. That's not what it means to live in hope. Friends, we need more than ever to understand this incredible promise to us who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that we have a living hope that is a a certainty. We are certain now that the glory Adam lost in the fall in the garden will be restored. The glory restored to believers will be greater than the glory Adam once had, for believers will be conformed to the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this glory of God? Notice with me thirdly, what does glory mean? In the Hebrew understanding, it's the weight of God. In Genesis 33, Moses said to to God, show me your, your glory. Show me your weight. And God said, no one can see me and live. And so he placed Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed by and Moses was able to see the hind parts as he passed by in a, a brief theophany. In the Greek, the, the word means to seem or to appear. What does that have to do with glory? Well, follow along as it developed. It refers to how a thing seems or appears in the early stages, referred to how a thing seems or appears to someone. And then it later it took on the idea of an opinion. And so orthodoxy would be Right thinking, paradox would be a contrast or a conflict in in thinking. Heterodox would be um, another type of thought or opinion. So when we think of glory as it developed this way, that our highest opinion should be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we speak of the glory of, of God, the glory of Christ, our highest opinions should be given to Him. To worship God is to assign Him His true worth. If you read the Gospels and follow Jesus' life, you see glimpses into this glory, glimpses into this glory. At the Mount of Transfiguration, not a full manifestation, but for a brief moment, Peter, James, and John saw the glory of God and it changed their life forever. Just a brief glimpse. Then if we go to Acts chapter 9 and we see the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Paul's vision of Jesus rendered him blind without sight for three days. Jesus spoke of the glory of God. In the high priestly prayer in John 17, when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you with the glory I had with you since the world began. Glory means being transformed into Christ's likeness. The glory of God here. 
Through him we have obtained this access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you hope in the glory of God? Is there within you a longing? I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to be with him. How do I prepare for such a thought? Is that even a proper thought? It is a proper thought. I think of Mary who who gave that expensive ointment and it was used to anoint Christ. It was really her lifetime savings. And Jesus said, as often as it's mentioned, she would be mentioned for her reverence and devotion. Do you long to be near him? Do you long to give your best to him? All of these are preps for greater things yet to come. Do you long to be and see his glory? You know, that's where we're headed. So maybe I can enlarge our vision here this morning. That is where we're headed. Maybe you've thought about it. It's been a while since you've thought about it. Maybe you don't think about it at all. But that is the destiny for the believer in Jesus Christ. To be in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Perfect worship, perfect service, perfect rest, perfect adventure. Which leads us fourthly to the beatific vision. We shall see him as he is. There's a story told of a little boy who struggled with the idea of God, that he was learning from his parents that God is invisible, he's a spirit. And that kind of bothered him, and what bothered him the most was that he was told God was invisible and he was a spirit, and how how could he worship and serve a God he could not see? And already he was aware, out of sight, out of mind, in his young life, and in frustration to the theology of an invisible God, he cried out, I want to see a God with skin on, which is what Philip said Show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Oh, Philip, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But even still, there's more. There's more. Our sufficiency would be altogether met by one glimpse of the unveiled face of God. The theologians call this the beatific vision. Look with me at 1 John. This kind of elaborates on it a bit. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are God's children now. We are all related in Adam, but to be a child of God requires God's grace through Jesus Christ. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We live in the land of the dying. We live in, the, in a world that is groaning, a creation that is groaning and and what we, have, uh, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. 
and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John says, this is something you really want to think about. This is something you want to bring into your thought processes of how you live out your faith in this world, that one day my Savior will come and I will see him as he is and I will be made like him. So Moses' request, let me see your glory. No one can see me and live, not in flesh and blood. I've had uh, three funerals in the last three weeks and I've been reminded of these truths flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so every trip to the cemetery, every tear shed is a reminder of where our hope really is. And that one day Christ is coming and there's going to be a resurrection day. The full hope of the believer is that we will one day have resurrection bodies by which to live on the new heaven and new earth with God forever and ever and ever. God is restoring. God will establish. And we shall see him as he is. And we will be conformed into his image. I hope that thrills your soul. I hope you would see church and personal worship and church life and every aspect of your Christian life as as preparing to meet your Savior, that God's design for each one of us is to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be a hope-filled people, a truth-speaking people in this generation. John promises that though mysteries attend much of what lies before us in heaven, Of this much we can be sure we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Purify yourself with this thought. There's a purifying power. What, how? Well, it reminds us that this world is not our what? It's not our home. It's not our home. But I fear sometimes we live, man, we love it here. (laughs) We've got things that are meeting our needs and... We love it here. And I think with every setback, every point of suffering, which is next week's study, we're reminded this world is not our home. Going back to Abraham, he was not looking um, for a place in this world, but for a city whose architect and builder was God. I pray that we would live with an eternal agenda and great hope. Randy Alcorn has um, written many helpful books for the building up of the church. Would recommend Happiness, his book Happiness. Would recommend his book on heaven, which is tremendous in helping the church to think about the promises God has given to us for an eternal destination. In his work entitled Heaven, um, he... um, gives these hopes that are not, as he would say, throwing pennies in a wishing well, but are on solid promises. Randy sent out an email from his ministry this week um, just sharing how his wife's in hospice. And under hospice care, he said, Nancy and I have had end-of-present-life conversations going back for years. And again, in recent months, 
She's ready to meet Jesus after what I have seen in the last several days, which has been so hard on her. I feel ready to let her go, even though in another sense, of course, I can't be ready. Thanks for your prayers. And so we live with those tensions, don't we? He closed his article with Lamentations 3.26. The Lord is good to those who hope in him. And so I would close with that admonition that your hope would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have saving faith in him means we rejoice, we boast in the hope of glory. That we have a destiny that will be in the presence of God. So if you're without saving faith in Jesus Christ, I would point you to him. I would call you this morning to repent of your sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There are not multiple ways to God. There is one way, and Christ has provided that through his death and resurrection. Maybe you're dealing with struggles. Maybe the image that comes to my mind is just struggles with sin. It's like, how can I ever be convinced that God is not against me? Let me look at my track record. I had a conversation this morning with, with a dear brother on that question right there. What does God think when I struggle the way I do? Well, in Jesus Christ, what it means is you, you will never be condemned. And that the Christian life is really living in a sense of gratitude for what God has done for us. And when he says, rise and walk, you, you begin again in his grace every day. Looking to him, trusting in him, because you have hope within you. That whatever may happen in this life, in this world, your destiny and your life are in the hands of God. What greater security could you know? And when that time comes, if you should die before the Lord returns, absent from the body, present with the Lord, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. For those who die in Christ, when we breathe our last in this world, our spirit goes to be with him awaiting a resurrection day when the dead in Christ shall rise and those who remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words, Paul said. I pray that you would see and feel and experience this hope that is ours by faith in Christ alone. What a blessing. Would you bow with me in prayer? In the closing moments of this service, it really is a time to yield our hearts to Christ. We call it responding in faith because every time the word of God is open, it's a call to believe. It's a call to act. It's a call to obey. It's a call to... Say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Father, in these closing moments, we do want this to be a time of surrender to you. For those without Christ, that you would draw them to yourself in saving faith. For those that are struggling with issues of life, that, Lord, you would come and minister and strengthen our faith and our resolve and to see who we really are that you're not against us, you're for us, and, and to refuse to believe the lies of the evil one. We pray in these closing moments, we would say to you, Lord, here I am. 
Use me. Cleanse me. Revive me. I surrender to you. May it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart, you come.